0: Okay, so another thing I wanted to talk about, and I had mentioned it earlier, is that there is a way, potential way, to relocate saltwater crocodiles and other crocodiles that that would re- significantly reduce the chances of them returning to the location from which they were captured. Now, this is a method that has been known about for quite a long time. And uh, read the results were very promising, but like a lot of things, not just in the crocodile world, crocodilian world, but in the medical world and all kinds of stuff, some of this stuff just falls by the wayside. And for whatever reason, even though it's, you know, its efficacy is starting to look pretty, you know, uh, pretty good, uh, for either m- monetary reasons or laziness or whatever, it just doesn't happen. And so this, this thing is uh, magnets. And many of you have probably heard about this. Um, if you Once you capture a problem, crocodile or caiman or whatever, and you place magnets on its head, uh, on a smaller animal in one spot, a larger animal in two spots, you place it on its head after you capture it. You move it to the location where you're going to release it, preferably a long way away and then you release it in this area that's hopefully very far from human population. And then before you release it, you remove these magnets, and then you release it. And they found that in the vast majority of cases, these animals do not return to their site of capture. So rather than killing the animals or putting them into captivity, which a lot of the countries do not have resources for because these crocodiles are just piling up, perhaps this is a much more sustainable and conservation-friendly solution to this problem because it's a growing problem. It's not going to get better. Um, captive populations are going to you know, continue to... Um, Explode because in a lot of areas, like Bank, in Banka Island, in East Nusa Tenggara, they've been catching problem problem crocodiles that attack people, and they've just been putting them in captivity, and it's becoming a real big problem because they can't feed them. The crocodiles are attacking each other because, again, these are saltwater crocodiles, highly territorial. A lot of the crocodiles that attack people are males. You're just you're gonna have a lot of problems with that. So this is one of many potential solutions. That could help to minimize human crocodile conflict, uh, help manage the population, and not reduce the number of crocodiles. That's the big thing. I mean, for me personally, um, I try to I'm trying to toe the line. I, I feel like there's there, there's there's kind of two trains of thoughts a thought when it comes to 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 crocodilian conservation slash management. Um And then there, there really is in, in, in with any carnivore and in the one hand is like we just we just kill them all or, we, or at least we cull them or we cull, you know we kill the ones that are the problem. And then you have the other side that doesn't want to kill any of them they want them all to be protected and they want people to just deal with it. We need to find a middle ground and I think this is a very useful middle ground because with a growing human population, habitat destruction, is not going to get better. Sustainable use worked in the 1970s, worked in the 1980s. I don't see its utility to the same degree in modern times, and definitely not into the future that it has now. It has its place, no question, but sustainable use does not protect habitat. Sustainable use does not curb human population growth. It does not stop mangroves from being destroyed. It does not alleviate poverty. Um, It does not regulate human behavior. These are all the major problems that crocodilians are facing, especially human-crocodile conflict these days. We're seeing rebounding crocodile populations, and these crocodile populations simply have nowhere to go. You see um, a lot of these small rivers in places like Flores you know, you get one male in a single river, and that river has reached carrying capacity for males. So they've got to go out and look for new habitat. And they go out looking for new habitat in a place like Lombok or Zimbabwe. There are a few areas where they could be, but those areas are mostly going to be just one crocodile. So the, the, these, the carrying capacity is going, to, is going to increase very quickly. And, you know going out and just being like, okay, well, we're going to sustainably use the population. Okay, well, there's one individual in each river. What, are you just going to wipe out the crocodiles in each river? Or do we just say, okay, well, crocodiles will never return to these areas, so we just need to wipe them out as they go. And I'm like, okay, fine. So we have this Set number of areas where habitat has been destroyed already, you know, Jakarta, Bali, Lombok, these areas. And we say, okay, we're just going to get rid of the crocodiles there because there's no habitat left. And um, any crocodile that moves into human habitat is automatically considered a problem crocodile. And this is something that has been done in the Anaman Islands recently. They have these. They have three different zones. They have a, uh, It's a crocodile free zone where every crocodile is considered a problem crocodile and is removed. They have crocodile human coexistence zones, which is likely to be where most of the conflict's going to occur. And then they have um, crocodile conservation zones, which is where they're set aside only for crocodiles, and humans will be relegated or will be regulated from going into these areas. And if they are attacked, that's kind of their own problem, so to speak. Now, I like this idea, but there's a major problem with this idea, there's a major problem with all of these ideas. And the problem is it lives in a vacuum. These ideas live in a vacuum. They don't look to the future. They're looking at what we have now. Human population expansion and encroachment is continuing, and it will continue for the foreseeable future. Even by 2100, even though the population is expected to be start slowly reducing around 2070 or something, it'll plateau at 2050, slowly start reducing around 2070. Even by 2100, it's going to be higher than it is today. Okay, you expect most of these species to actually hang on for that long with the amount of habitat destruction that's going to be occurring between now and then. If habitat destruction continues, what is today's crocodile habitat is going to be tomorrow's human habitat. So unless we harshly enforce protected areas, um, regulate, heavily regulate development, demand development doesn't occur with harsh consequences for it, um, really get on some of these major industries, oil palm, acacia, acacia plantations, uh, tin mining, um, all of these industries that really just, just, Not only do they destroy wildlife habitat, this is, this is a problem that affects humans just as much as it does wildlife. So even if you don't care about wildlife, uh, this loss of resources and human encroachment and just the ecological collapse is going to hurt us just as much as any, anybody else. Because we are animals, regardless of whether some people may not like to know that, we are primates. We are subjected to the exact same laws of nature as everybody else. So ultimately, in the long run, we will be hurt just as badly as these wildlife species, but they will go first, obviously. And so my problem with these things is that, okay, we're, we're going to remove these animals from populated areas. Okay, that's fine if populated areas just remain the same same way that they are now, but they won't. They're going to move into new, more and more new areas. Habitat's going to be destroyed. Sooner or later there's not going to be any habitat left, or there's going to be very few habitat left. Thankfully, where I live here in the Top End, part of the reason I moved to the Top End is because it's so sparsely populated, it's very unlikely that the wild areas up here are going to be significantly impacted. There will be little things, you know, like population will inevitably move further and further out, but it's such a small human population, and there's so many crocodiles and so much natural habitat, we're in good shape. The rest of the world is not in good shape. It's in really bad shape. And unless we put a curb to development, unless we really focus on solutions that, are, that look at coexistence and look at really protecting wild areas and putting our foot down and saying, like, look, you know, we, gave, you know we, we said that this area was set aside for wildlife and this area is set aside for you. You moved into that area and you destroyed the habitat there. And now you're having problems with the crocodiles. That area was set aside for them. At what point do you put your foot down and say, look, sorry, you know, we did it. Now you have to live with them, you know, and that may sound a little cold, but I'm just frankly getting a little sick of it, to be honest, because it's at what point do you stop? Why do why do we even do, con- you know, why are we interested in conservation if it's ultimately going to be a dead end? Unless we actually really work to come up with these long term solutions. And, and and this is not an anti human rant um this is pro-human rant because this is going to affect humans just as much as it does any other wildlife species in the long run i mean when you look at what's happening with, with with people in a lot of these developing countries that you know the quality of life it's it's just bad all around and i think it's something we need to, need to do about it and i really do not think that current management practices outside of australia uh and, and in current um conservation ideas are really addressing this. I'm disappointed and I don't, I don't think, I think there needs to be a radical paradigm shift. And and, and I know I'm just a lowly PhD researcher, but um, I just, I, it bugs me because I don't think, I don't see things getting better anytime soon outside of Australia. And I think the only reason, really the only reason, uh, the management works so well in Australia and everything works so well here is because we just don't have that many people. We have what, 200,000 people, roughly, in the Northern Territory. Um, uh, take Uttar Pradesh in India, for example. Uh, the, the, Uttar Pradesh is virtually the identical same size as the top end of the Northern Territory. top end of the North, Northern Territory has roughly two hundred to 250,000 people. Uttar Pradesh is home to 252 million people. In the same amount of area which is almost impossible to fathom and they experienced 13 deaths from mugger crocodiles just in 2023 so far i'm hoping that's it for the year because mugger attacks seem to be very seasonal and they tend to end um in november december they tend to get to get very quiet thankfully and they don't pick up again until about march but you know, that on one hand, 13 deaths in, in a single area the size of the top end in one year. That's, that's just the deaths. There were about 35 attacks. And that's just for one province the size of the top end. When you think about it, that just thinks like, wow, you know, mugger crocodiles must be way more dangerous than salties. Not the case. Salties are far more dangerous to humans than muggers. The difference is you have 252 million people. So when you look at per capita, it's really not that much when you when you have 252 million people it's just that people are constantly around and they're also a lot of these people are poverty stricken and that's another big issue when it comes to human crocodile conflict and something i've been looking at i'm writing a paper right now my first phd paper is looking at current causes uh current proposed causes solutions and uh mitigation um, um mitigation strategies for human crocodile conflict and I'm looking at a lot of this stuff, and every country is going to need something different because of it. But in a place like Uttar Pradesh in India, these people are—they have to rely on the waterways uh, for their for their for their daily chores. And in India, there aren't very many wild spaces left where there aren't a lot of people around because with that population density, there's there's always a lot of people around. So you're going to have a much much higher um, number of attacks. The fatality rate is—I wouldn't say it's low, but it's not high either. It's less than fifty percent. It's like 30, 30 or thirty-five percent, which is much higher than the the New World, but but you know it's not as high as Nile's and Salties. But um, you know, back in the seventies, the Mugger crocodile was considered to be a fairly harmless species. So you can see things have changed. I don't know if it's the fact that Muggers attacked a lot of people historically, and we just didn't hear about it. Or if it's just another case, kind of like the Tamistama, where you've had just such a, such a change in the environment that the that the behavior has changed, you know. And uh, obviously, poverty alleviation of uh, allevi- uh, you know alleviating poverty is a is not an easy. I mean, that's a world problem. It goes well beyond human wildlife conflict. That's something everybody wants to do. Um, so that I don't think that we should we should be focusing on that as a way to reduce human wildlife conflict because it's not going to happen Just, the powers that be don't let us face it they don't really care enough about impoverished populations to really do that I think a way we can really mitigate this is through the use of stuff like CEEs, Crocodile Exclusion Enclosures, which also cost money, but I think we can get a lot of nonprofit organizations to raise money for that kind of stuff, um, and to raise money most importantly for maintenance because those things only work real well if they're maintained. Um, And that works wonderfully for for people who are attacked while bathing and um, while they are washing clothes. Um, It can really reduce attack frequencies drastically and I think it really has in Sri Lanka. I think it's been really successful. However, fishermen is the big problem. And since most saltwater crocodile victims are fishermen, we have to come up with a whole other ball game to try to to address that issue. I think there I have been coming up with some potential ways. Some of it is some of it is purely mitigating attacks. Others are mitigating the severity of attacks such as going out fishing with another person right next to you at all times with a weapon. So I found that often in uh, East Nusa of Tengara, for example, when uh, two men will go out, they like they love to fish at night, I try to also really, really tell them not to do that, but they do it anyways because that's when the best fishing is, apparently. Um, but I tell them, you know, keep somebody with you with a flashlight. Both of you need a flashlight. Both of you need a weapon. And stay really close to each other. Don't be 100 meters or even 10 meters away from each other. Be right next to each other. And most of the time, you will survive. Most of the time, I've heard of people being attacked in these areas. They only survive when they've got a guy right next to them who can fight off the croc. Because you got to remember, in a lot of these act- attacks, not all of them, but a lot of these attacks in the ocean, they're not involving 5-meter animals or even 4-meter animals. You know, these might be 3 and a three-and-a-half meters salty. But if you're by yourself and you're not a big guy and you're in you know, you're tired, it's at night, you're in, you're in deep water, you, you know, spearfishing, you're, you're going to get taken. You'll be killed by a three or three and a half meter crocodile. But if you've got a friend with you, you can very easily fight off a three or three and a half meter crocodile. And while that's not mitigating attacks, that's mitigating deaths. And I think mitigating deaths is, 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 mitigating death and loss of limb and disability are far more important than mitigating, you know, minor bites and stuff. Because those happen and don't even get reported. And I think if we can kind of, focus on that, that that could really make a difference for fishermen as well. But there's some other things I'm looking into as well. I feel like uh, another thing, kind of analogy with medicine, I think the only way we're going to move forward with with human-wildlife conflict mitigation is the same way I think personally. um, In the world of medicine, we're really going to, the only way we're going to move forward with real, actual cures, since cures seem to be in short supply and uh, effective treatment treatments is, is by looking at, thinking outside the box, really having radical ideas. People come in kind of a classic scientific av- a- attitude, kind of what, you know, somebody like Charles Darwin would have done, where you really, you know, you just you think outside the box. Don't Don't keep yourself within one paradigm. Just really try to think about, okay, well, what are some other things we can do? I think we can really come up with with some really interesting ways to mitigate this in the future. And it's a really exciting field. And it will save lives and save crocodilians. And hopefully we can keep some of these potentially dangerous species from not only going extinct, but I I don't want to see range uh, reduction any further than all it has. I mean, saltwater crocodiles have been eradicated from Vietnam, they've been eradicated from Cambodia, Thailand. Most of Myanmar, they're still in a few areas. Uh, the Seychelles, obviously, most of India. People often think India has a lot of salties. They only do in Bittar Khanika, which is a very small area. Um, the, outside of that, they're just in the Andaman Islands, which are far away from India, the Indian mainland. And in the Sundarbans, where they are vulnerable, they're not doing great. You know, they used to be all over coastal India, all the way down to Kerala, even maybe even a little further north to Kerala, based on my research. Um, So in China and everywhere, you know, and they've been, I would say the saltwater crocodiles on the way out on the Indian mainland. I mean, on the uh, Asian mainland. It it doesn't look good. So I would hate to see a further reduction in the range of this wonderful, um, charismatic, and really brilliant, example of evolution. Saltwater crocodiles are are magnificent animals. You know, the ultimate evolutionary, like when people talk about pinnacle of evolution, it's not humans. It's crocodiles and sharks and and, and certain insects. These animals, you know, they've survived. They're not living fossils. People hate to say, you know, a lot of scientists hate it when people say that, but they've survived with you know their their basic form has remained unchanged for a very long time I and mean, given that you know uh, alligators and crocodiles are separated by 200 million or not 290 million years of, of evolution and yet they resent, somewhat still resemble each other it means that something is something works right with their with how they've evolved it's uh, it's an effective very effective um, uh, way of being So these are extremely successful animals, and I don't, I would hate to see them wiped out by a species that has only been around for two to three hundred thousand years, and that likely has, within that time, within, well, within really only a few hundred years, has almost completely destroyed the planet and ourselves. So, anyway... Uh, that that's my rant for the for, for this podcast. I'll probably release it in, in this in different little little snippets so you can get an idea. This is my more political and ranty one. You get kind of an idea of how I'm feeling. I'm not a misanthrope, but it is sometimes it's very hard to have a positive attitude about humanity when you see the stuff that's happening. And um, I unlike a lot of people, I try not to put a I try not to wear rose colored glasses. I try to just look at things realistically. And if you'd like to email me and discuss this further with me, if there's anything you disagree with or you're really interested in, in discussing new ideas, then it's great. Because keep in mind, I want to save humans and crocodiles, but I feel like crocodiles often, the crocodilians often get the, you know, the uh, dismissed here. You know what I mean? And, and I'm not saying they're on equal footing with saving children and people. I'm just saying that it's... You know, this is, we don't want to see these animals disappear, even when they are killing people. Um, and 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 compared to, in another thing, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go soon. Another thing, when you compare to other causes of human death, death by crocodile attack, even in areas where they attack hundreds of people a year, is still minimal compared to the the deaths that people experience from. Um, well, obviously from mosquito bites, from car accidents, from murder, from other people more than more than anything else. I think mosquito is the only living creature that kills more people than other humans. Uh, the domestic dog, which we all love so much, kills more people than any wild large animal. In um, you know bacteria and all these other you know all these insects and even snakes. And I love snakes. That's another animal that I don't want to see eradicated for. Um, invent yeah, I can't say that, for, for yeah, for, for giving people venomous bites, God, I, I've got a, have uh, got a little bit of a, a problem with my uh, mouth, mouth lately, um, but, uh, yeah, I'm having a, a, tooth replacement pretty soon, but anyways, the, you know, it, it's, it's compared to, you know, drowning and all these other things, it's, it's barely minimal, you know, so we I think it's something we can solve. It's scary, and I think that's what gets in. You know, it gets into people's psyche the idea of a big animal with teeth. You know, especially like stuff like tigers, which I'm sure they are in, they're in wor- way worse shape than, than some of the larger crocodile species, and also represent a greater threat because they can attack people on land. You know that they, they roar and they're very scary, so it gets into the psyche. Even if they don't kill nearly as many people as you know, starvation, um, drowning. Mosquitoes, other people, all these other things. But but it really, you know, it, it, that irrational fear comes from that. So, you know, I think education in that front is, is a very big deal. And I hope it changes in the future. But anyways, uh, talk again soon. I hope you enjoyed these these little mini podcasts. I'm going to try to make these a lot more frequent. I'm mostly going to be doing them by, themselves, by myself. Um, I may have more guest podcasts. Um, I may even bring uh, Brandon Barossa back in at some point, um, if you would like, but for now I'm going to be doing these on my own because that means I can do them very frequently. Right now I'm doing my PhD and I am in Darwin and over the wet season and in the next few months uh, things are going to be fairly quiet. I'm going to be mostly writing and recording this kind of stuff, so it should be, should be very fruitful. I also may be doing some medical treatment for, I'm sure a lot of you've heard about my gastrointestinal issues that remain undiagnosed. I had kind of a final diagnostic um, traveling down to Sydney fairly recently, and I'm hoping it'll finally show me what's wrong. But but either way, I think antibiotics will be involved, but um, long-term antibiotics. But in any case, uh, enough about me. I will talk to you all soon. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and my... um, (laughs) off-topic ramblings. And yes, thank you very much. This has been Brandon Sidlow talking about human-crocodile conflict, conservation, and brief mentions of my own personal crap. (laughs) Thank you.